When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. It is your Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, and uh, great to be back in this seat. It's been a couple of weeks off for me, Ian Mendes, Sean McAdoo with you for the next hour. We'll uh, get Jesse Granger. I think Granger... He's he's done celebrating, right? Granger you better be back to work, man. Like yeah, yeah. So Granger get him on the get, get him on the show. He hasn't been writing very much lately, so no. I think there was there was like a three hour window yesterday where he didn't have any new pieces up on the site. So, so vacation time's over, buddy. Let's go. Yeah, I I think the mo- the more evil thing would be to tell him, hey, we're pre taping for next week. Can we get you really early on Sunday morning? Right? <laughs> yeah, they get, that's right. They get the Saturday night after uh, the parade. Shutting- yeah. yeah, and they're shutting down the strip. I saw. Yeah. Like to, wow. That's. Uh, I mean, that to do that on a Saturday night is pretty impressive. I know they do it a lot in you know in the middle of the night for movies and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to 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 do it on uh, yeah Saturday at uh, seven or eight o'clock local time. That's uh, it's a big deal there, and you know what? So, well deserved. Yeah, well absolutely. deserved, man. That was a fun team. Great postseason worthy champion. So, yeah, I don't I, I feel like this is normally where we tell the fan base to go out and have fun and enjoy it. But I feel like we don't have to tell. No, people in Vegas to have fun. Yeah. yeah. Let your hair down, guys. Yeah. Let your hair down. For Come one, out of your shell, Vegas. What, Come on. Let's what uh, you, can, you can do it. Uh, if we if we were thinking about the most like, I don't know if iconic would be the word. Yeah, maybe iconic. Like the most iconic places to hold your Stanley Cup parade. Like, down the, the Vegas Strip is up there, right? Like, you're shutting it down. Mm-hmm. What, like, like if you go through some big-time big – like, when the Rangers won the Cup in 94, I remember there was actually a legit ticker tape parade, right? Like, it was a ticker tape parade yeah. right down – like, kind of in the financial district, though, right? Like, down in lower Manhattan. Did I they? I don't. I don't remember. I was going to say, did they go through Times Square or something No, I like don't – but- I don't know. Uh, but, but that was – on if you've ever seen the great ESPN Thirty for Thirty, uh, June seventeenth, nineteen ninety four. That that I believe that was the day of the Rangers parade. Uh, okay. That that ESPN Thirty for Thirty. That's the day where like OJ and the car chase and and the all, all the things that happened on that one day, and it was that Rangers parade. But that like, might explain why we don't remember all the details. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What else were we doing on June seventeenth, nineteen ninety four? But like, I, I think this is pretty cool. Like, I'm trying to think about. What would be a more like visually appealing or iconic place to hold your Stanley Cup parade? And I was I was having a hard time thinking. I don't know that we're going to top that. Like, yeah, like, I mean, obviously, a parking lot in New Jersey is is number one. 
that's uh, Con- the old Brendan Byrne Arena or whatever that yeah. was called. Yeah, I don't know that we'll Alliance ever Arena. that we'll ever yeah. fully top that. But uh, yeah, beyond that, I don't know. Like, like when you think of like really iconic streets, uh, you know, sections of town, um, you know that that's probably it. I mean. They're, they're most a lot of the big cities have got like the big main street and it's nice you know i mean chicago's got it montreal you know toronto's got young street uh but we've seen that right like we've we've seen the big parade down the street kind of deal um yeah i don't know i i, I wonder how you could do it in uh in in something that would just kind of hit the visuals a little harder well i'll tell you what what um So Ottawa got to the cup final, obviously, in 2007 against Anaheim. And I had heard that one of the ideas that had uh, been floated, pun intended, uh, would be that they would, uh, in Ottawa, there's a canal, for people who Mm -hmm. don't know Ottawa, the canal that pretty much runs right kind of close to the downtown core and then right to uh, Parliament Hill, which is the big government building uh, in the heart of downtown. And that the idea would be Tens of thousands of fans could line up on either side of the canal and the team would go down the canal in a boat Okay, for the parade, Yeah, uh, which I think would be pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah, I was uh, – that, uh, that's not bad. Now, has that been done? It feels like has, – has anyone else done like the, uh, the water – like did Chicago do that? They've got the, the river yeah, going right through down. Did – did the Boston Red Sox not do it when they won the first World Series in 04? Like, I feel like I remember Pedro Martinez getting into one of those, like, you know, those boat, uh, those buses that turn into yeah, uh, boat, one of those aqua yeah, yeah. The buses, little duck what, boats or whatever. Duck yeah. boats, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I feel like I have a memory of that. But I don't know. And that what, was, NH- uh, what, what was it wait, a few what years ago? What did Tampa ago? do? Didn't yeah, Tampa I, get on a boat? Well, and uh, remember Tom Brady throwing the trophy? Wasn't, wasn't that from, like, boat to boat? I feel yeah. like that was a. I think they, Tampa Bay. Yeah, Tampa Kuch- must have been on the water. There's Kucherov. No way I feel would... like Kucherov was crushing Bud Lights on a boat. Well, he, he definitely was, but whether that was uh, affiliated with team activities yeah. or not, he's probably still doing that from uh, uh, from their last win. Yeah, man. Anyway, so uh, listeners, we'd love to hear if your favorite uh, team won a Stanley Cup. Is there any parade route that could kind of match? Vegas's strip for you, like in your city or your favorite team, what can, what can get there? I, I don't know. It'd be a pretty short list, uh, pretty short list uh, for me. Uh, so listen, we're going to get, like I said, Granger's going to come by. We got a whole bunch of things to get to. Uh, I do want to point out that the timing of my trip, I, I went away. I told uh, the listeners, I think the last podcast I did was actually, it was the, yeah, it was the day I was leaving. It was like two weeks ago. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, what's going to happen? The senators are going to sit a, get sold like the minute I get on the plane or the minute I land in Italy. But tell you what, wife and I went away for 12 days, got back on Monday, and first thing on Tuesday, the Ottawa Senators were sold to mm. Michael Landlauer. Almost like, as if. you know, We all spent two weeks waited. going, what is taking so long? Yeah, and Landlauer was like, I got to wait. I got to wait for yeah. Ian to get back. It was like, wait, it's almost as if there's somebody – Way high up in the chain of command, who has not given a final approval on this? Yeah, and uh, yeah, hmm. interesting how that worked out. But the timing of this, from a hockey perspective, is super awkward, is it not? Because we're now sitting here on what are we, the fifteenth of June, 
And this is the biggest 10-day window, I think, on the entire in the entire hockey calendar. Is there is there anything more important than the draft and free agency, just in terms of trying to manipulate your roster and move? Like this is yep. the time where it feels like you can do the most, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. This is this is business time. This is yeah. And it's a very weird offseason that we have compared to some of the other sports that are far more stretched out. Um, you know, we have we've we go from the draft to free agency in a week. And and not only is the draft obviously crucially important for the draft itself, but that's where the vast majority of the big offseason trades happen. So yeah, we just crush like it feels like what would be in other sports two months of news into about a week and a half. Um and yeah, you you want to have everything lined up. You want to know who's making the decisions and for um, and and what the strategy is. And it, it does put Ottawa in a an awkward situation, especially since this isn't going to close anytime soon. So you know, there's we know now who the owner will be, but when it's going to happen, when they'll take over, we will uh, we're still waiting. Well, the way I look at it is this: is and if you're Pierre Dorian and you're on the fence, so to speak, like you don't know. If you're coming back for sure, if you feel like you're you're Piedorian and you're on the fence, and and let's use Alex DeBrinket as the best uh, example because legitimately I do think he's got to do something with DeBrinket here, and I think taking him to arbitration makes sense as a stopgap measure, and maybe trading him uh, in, in the meantime is a good thing. But a, I don't think he would have the authority. Like it's not like he could sign DeBrinket for here's eight years and sixty million. Uh, I don't, I, you know, you would need. Wouldn't think. No, no, I don't think you can. But, but more importantly, wouldn't you try and somehow run that up the flagpole? Get that in, even though Ann Lauer isn't in charge per se. Wouldn't you want to make sure that the new boss is okay with whatever you do, so that when he does take over, he's not like, I can't believe what you just did, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, absolutely, and uh, yeah. I'm sure there's some sort of way to do that uh, that that they will work out. Um, but it's it it is. I mean, it's it's a fascinating situation because um, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that with with uh, this new owner, that this of the four bids was considered to be potentially the worst scenario for Pierre Dorian because it's a hockey guy coming in. He yeah. has his own connections. He 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 may be less likely than the other uh, bidders to come in and say, "Well, let's see what we've got," and you know, take take some time. So, Pierre Dorian might be, you know, not to, to to put too fine a point on it. He might be GMing for his career over the next couple of weeks. He he might be auditioning yeah. um, for, if not the senator's job, maybe he's if if decisions have already been made. Maybe he's auditioning for that next job. And so then it kind of becomes what is – I'm always saying that I think I think almost any GM in the league, what's best for them and what's best for the team is not always aligned. Um, does Pierre Dorian feel any pressure here to make a big, sexy move of some sort that's uh, going to have people talking summer of Pierre again um, versus you know some something like just you know going to have – going to arbitration – Maybe it's the right thing to do with Alex Dabrinkit as an example. Yeah, but it's not yeah. going to grab. It's not going to grab headlines. It's not going to make anyone go, "Oh, yeah, man, this Dorian guy is really, uh, uh, really on the ball." So, 
I don't know. It's uh, it's a tough situation, uh, unavoidable. I mean, I don't I don't know that anyone that, that there's any fingers to point here as far as the, the blame for how the timing on this worked. But he does put the team in an awkward situation. Yeah. No. No. It's uh, it it is. It's really weird from that perspective. So yeah, my guess is Dorian goes in is the the general manager, and you're right. Like at least for the next few weeks, and you're right. Of all the bidders that were on the table. And Lauer is the one who is least looking at purchasing the Senators as like a real estate play and more mm-hmm. looking at it as, I want to buy the team. I want to, uh, I'm just a big hockey fan. I, you know, that's the sense I get from, from Michael and Lauer. So uh, it, it's going to be a fascinating, just the timing of it is weird because you do, like if you didn't have the DeBrinket situation, I think it would be okay. Like, but, but this is arguably, like if you look around the league, in terms of pressing matters that probably need to be addressed in the weeks ahead, I think you've got the Brinkett in, in Ottawa. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong on this. Pierre-Luc Dubois in Winnipeg feel, and, and maybe to some extent Hellebach and the other, but, mm-hmm. but like, it feels like there's a boiling point there, no? With a couple yeah, of guys? It, it, it definitely feels like the Jets have been a team that have been resisting change for a few years, and they are now going to lose the ability to make that decision for themselves because the, the between Dubois and Hallibuck and then you know, Mark Shifley we've been talking about for years now, it, it, it feels like they've hit the tipping point where big changes yeah. have to come. And But like, again, this is the window of time where it happens, right? In the next two weeks is when teams have some flexibility. Uh, you know, I, I also look, and Saad had a great piece on what should the Dallas Stars do with Ryan Suter? Because there's a guy that... Feels like a buyout, but then there's implications with that. Do you let him play it out? Do you try like you know? Rough I, I postseason feel like, for him. Yeah, like what do you do there? Because yeah, if you watch the postseason, people are like, "Well, Ryan Suter's done. Like he's not. He's a shell of himself. Whatever." Uh, but he's got two years left on his deal, and mm-hmm. like, and it's like, not a super expensive deal. No, so he doesn't have to be. You know, you, you Ryan Suter in this league for going on twenty years now has been a. For for a lot of his career, a top pair guy, and and more recently has been that sort of solid top four guy. He doesn't re, he doesn't have to be a top defenseman to live up to that salary at this point. You know, at at three million and change, you know, he can be a solid number four even, and and you're not you're not necessarily tearing your hair out over the contract. In the playoffs, he didn't look like that at all. But again, maybe that's, you know, maybe asking a guy to play a, a full six-month season and then three rounds of the playoffs is is too big an ask and they can adjust that. But it's pretty pretty tough when you're already on another team's books for a buyout to hear yeah. your name mentioned for another one. Yeah. Has that ever happened? Uh, has that happened before where somebody has been bought out like kind of simultaneously by two teams? I'm not sure. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if it did in the years after, like oh five oh six, the lockout, yeah, when when yeah. they had the, uh, you know, when Amnesty. every team got a certain number of compliance buyouts, so there were all sorts yeah. of guys getting bought out uh, with with zero dollar cap hits, um, but still getting the the, the actual dollars. Um, I would imagine it probably happened then, just because there were so many guys on the market. But I, I can't remember it happening where a guy's been on the cap of two different teams on buyouts at the same time. And as we continue to look around like at, at, at 
stories that I think are going to be uh, cropping up here. And uh, like I said, Suter in Dallas, uh, Winnipeg, the Brinkett. What happens with Matt Murray? Uh, you know, Matt Murray's got, and this is the contract that Ottawa gave him prior to the 2020-2021 season. So this is the fourth year of it. And it's straight, uh, to, to quote Randy Moss, it's uh, straight cash. Uh, homie, mm-hmm. it's eight mil- It's an eight million dollar deal, right? With no bonuses, it's eight million in real cash, and then the cap hit is you know six and a quarter. So, do you buy him out? Is that is that the inevitable solution here on Matt Murray? I think uh, they they try to trade him to like Arizona or something. What they did I, either to you know in Arizona or something, or 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 similar to what they did with Peter Mrazek last year. Um, where they sent him to Chicago. Yeah. Uh, it, keep in mind that the thing with with Matt Murray is, even though he's always he's a guy that has always had issues with injuries, he he did not play very much last year. All, all the things that we all saw coming as soon as that trade happened, you and I had the conversation. I said this is a terrible trade for Toronto. That all proved correct. But the thing to remember is at the end of the playoffs for the Leafs, Matt Murray was cleared. They they chose not to play him. They chose to go Joseph Wall, but Matt Murray was cleared to play, which means this isn't a situation where you can just send him to Arizona and they dump him on LTIR for a while yeah. and uh, and and you kind of shrug it off that way. This is a guy who is um, at least at the end of this season was healthy enough to play. So I would not be shocked if they buy him out because I think it's going to be very tough to move him um, still with that that year left on the deal at a as you say a high cash point. Um, this is, it almost always goes the other way. You're, you were so used to talking about the end of a contract being a lower cash point than the cap hit, but that's not the way the senators do business. They try to load it in the back so that if they get out from under the the deal, they're, they're saving extra dollars and that's what they managed to do on this one. So um, I, I, I find it very hard to imagine a situation where Matt Murray's back with the Leafs. So it's just a question of how, how do you move him and what's the cost as far as either assets or cap hit down the line, or do you potentially just just eat it for next year, put him down in the minors, and that's that's the end of it. So the guy who traded for Matt Murray, Kyle Dubas, is now in Pittsburgh. He brings in Jason Spezza, of course, and they seem to be tied at the hip. Um, is there any scenario in which you could see Matt Murray gets bought out and Pittsburgh brings him back on like a one year, 800 grand type of deal. Because again, they got some moving parts there with Tristan Jari and, and whatnot. Any way you could see that sure. if you looked into your crystal ball. Sure. And and I mean, I'll go one further. If it plays out that way, Matt Murray's going to have a hell of a season in Pittsburgh. I mean, we know every Leaf fan knows that. If they yeah. buy him out and he then signs a cheap deal with the GM they just got rid of, I mean, get your Vezina bets in now because he's yeah. going to win 30 games at least for that Penguins team. There's there's no no question in uh, in my mind. Uh, you know, I, I, I thought where you were maybe going with this was, is there a scenario where Pittsburgh could be the trade destination? Where the... the, the where they eat the salary, Toronto know, eat some salary? Yeah, it, Toronto I mean, would absolutely need to eat salary. But, you know, Kyle, du- again, right. Kyle Dubas liked him enough to trade for him last summer. He is a Sioux guy. He is, you know, whatever else. That I I have a real hard time seeing. I, I mean, I'm not sure Kyle Dubas is picking up the phone for too many 416 area codes at this point. Uh, no. And I don't think he's 
too eager to uh, get his old team off the hook, uh, even if it's a, a hook that he put them on in the first place. See, if Treliving was smart, he'd keep his old Calgary 403 area code. So Dubas would pick up. That's oh, right. 403. Who's Brad T? Yeah. Well, he's got to be calling. Uh, he, he, I mean, he's got to be calling. Uh, Brad Treliving's got to be calling Calgary because this is this is the blueprint for the Leafs, right? You hire the Flames GM. <laughs> yeah. The Flames replace that GM with his apprentice. And then the master calls the apprentice and absolutely... Uh, Gilmore. rips him off yeah. in a in a trade uh, Elias Lindholm for I don't know I'm trying to think who the modern equivalent of of Gary Lehman would be I don't think he's on the Leafs roster no no but anyway so like it, it's going to be interesting on on a with a few of these uh with a few of these names like like Matt Murray and, and what happens there did you find it I, like I said I didn't think it was weird at all like in fact I kind of figured Spezza would end up wherever Dubas ended up so that that part's not a surprise but what do you think about Jason Spezza getting named assistant general manager when there is no general manager? Like, right. like as the way the structure is in Pittsburgh, Kyle Dubas is the president of Hockey Ops. There's a blank spot at uh, general manager, and Jason is now the AGM. Yeah, and and I st- I mean, I I still I've, I've said this a bunch of times. It, everybody's acting like it's a sure thing that Kyle Dubas has got to hire a GM. I I. Kyle Dubas could just decide he wants the job. He's got it right now. He is the interim GM officially. Um, He could just say, you know what? Yeah, I think I am the best guy for this and uh, and take the job. I I don't. It is a little bit weird. I I saw somebody on Twitter was was saying, like, has this ever happened before? And apparently in in, somebody said in Vancouver, they hired all the assistants before they brought Patrick Alvin in as, as the GM. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, maybe maybe not all that unusual. The thing with Jason Spezza is. This is like we all love Jason Spezza, but he's he's very much learning on the job. He he's still got the trainee hat for uh, for front office. So, um, I think a lot of us think he maybe someday might make a really uh, a real good GM in the league. But I, I don't think anyone who comes in as GM in Pittsburgh is going to be looking over their shoulder at, at Jason Spezza right now. He's clearly still there to learn. He's not. Uh, um, he's he's years away from being ready to uh, to move into the big chair himself. So I, I think it's different than if they had hired some some veteran or some bigger name executive to come in and be the assistant. And suddenly, if I take yeah. that GM job, I'm going, well, who's this guy? Why is he looking over my shoulder? I want to ask you about this totally random thing that happened on, on Wednesday night. And this is from Major League Baseball, okay? So Mets and Yankees are playing a Subway Series game. And uh, the Yankees have one of those great plays where they steal home and they cut to a shot of the crowd and people are cheering. It's a, it's a Mets Yankees game, right? So the crowd is kind of split. And in the crowd, and he, this guy sticks out like a sore thumb because people were like, how did you even see this guy? But, and I tweeted this out at the 17 second mark of this video, there's a guy wearing a Connor Bedard Chicago jersey. Number 98, Connor mm-hmm. Bedard. At a at a Yankees Mets game, there's a guy in a Bedard Chicago jersey. So I got a couple. I got a couple. I need a jersey ruling from you on a couple. A couple of things here. Okay. Let's start with this. How I do like we the, feel? I feel like the jersey fouls thing is someone else's gimmick, but okay. That, 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 oh, and that's why I said jersey ruling. Okay. That's why ruling. Not Welcome foul. to Jersey that's Court. Foul. Yeah, exactly. Jersey Jersey. It's called sweater penalty. It's yeah, a totally what, different thing. Exactly. It's totally different. But yeah. how do we feel about? 
people wearing jerseys, like NHL jerseys to baseball games, football games, I guess basketball games. Like, do we care if somebody came to a NHL game wearing a Yankees jersey? Like, do we care? Do we not care? Do we just let this go? But I is it like weird? Is it I feel weird? like it's fine. And I also feel like it's, I mean, first of all, obviously, I mean, Connor Bedard is, there's, there's probably a lot more excitement about him in Chicago right now than, than the baseball teams necessarily. Um, right. But I, I would say the other thing is like, I feel like it would be weirder the other way, because at some point in the NHL, it just became this thing that everybody wears jerseys to games. Like it's, it's actually, it's jarring. If you go back and watch highlights from the eighties and nineties, and you just see people watching hockey in their regular clothes. Like there's a couple of guys in suits. There's people in t-shirts. There's like always somebody who's got like one, a, a weird, like early nineties sweater uh, yeah. happening. They're just regular people in regular outfits. Whereas now yeah. 90% of the crowds all wearing jerseys, which you, God, if you're a marketer, you're, you're, Thinking, how did we how did we ever score this? That yeah, you gotta you, you pay a couple hundred bucks for your tickets, but you also have to pay two hundred bucks for the jersey to to wear. So it, it would look a little bit weird, I think, to see somebody showing up in in a you know in a in a Yankees jersey at a hockey game. Whereas baseball doesn't really have that. You you do see a lot of team gear out out in the stands, but baseball is kind of the uh, the one where you still see everybody. Uh, looking like normal people. I feel like all the sports are like that. The hockey, am I crazy? Like hockey is the only sport where everybody is dressed up like the players. Yeah, I think so. I agree with you more so. Although if you go to NFL games, I mean, there are tons of jerseys. There are tons of jerseys games. in there, NFL, yeah. There are. But yeah, and, and it's weird. It's a New York game Imagine too, basketball, right? just everybody was wearing the tank tops, like, you know. With, just with no the, sleeveless, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, Anyway, it's weird. Anyway, normalize my- not wearing a jersey to a hockey game is what I'm saying. You go or, right or, ahead. As long as it's not brightly colored and uh, you're not sitting right guy. behind the net. What's that? Or- is he orange or neon yellow, the guy that you always point out? There's there's multiple guys. There, there's <laughs> many people out there. I, and I yeah. pointed out it's, it's a running bit where you don't see them until you see them. But then once you do, you can't see anything else other than yeah, the, the one guy wearing the bright orange or the bright green or you know somebody's wearing their hunting vest to to a hockey game yeah you can't unsee it and then that, now this person this guy already made a bedard chicago jersey and i'm wondering is that okay now like yes. are we, we that's in safe, this case right? yes yes i mean there there are times where you see people getting ahead of ahead of things on a trade or even a draft or something but in this case Yes, it is so obvious that they're picking him. There's been no whispers or suggestions at all that, that anything is going to get in the way of this. I feel like once once he hit that 99% uh, likelihood, you you go right ahead. And with, with Bedard, at least, we can feel like we can pretty safely assume we know the number, too. That's the other thing you'd be worried about. 98, right? right? You guess wrong on the number, and then you're then you're stuck. But uh I feel like this is this is pretty much locked in. I don't mind. I don't mind this guy getting ahead of the crowd. That's uh, I I will uh, I I will allow it, and I will I will not call a sweater penalty on my new uh, this new gimmick that we just invented. That's right, sweater. We just invented this. Yeah, yep, that's ours penalty. now. No one else. What w- what would be really risky is if you did like a Ducks Fantilli jersey, right? Yes. If you that's if you did Anaheim Fantilli, yeah, yeah. yeah you now gotta I would be careful some. on that one, and uh, yeah, you don't. Uh, 
anything anything outside the first pick, I don't think you want to mess around with. But uh, this uh, this one, I think it's okay. And how do we feel about like? Would it be cool if you saw somebody wearing a Quebec Nordiques Lindros jersey right now? Would you say? Well, I know I know it wasn't cool. Eric Lindros. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I feel like now, yes, that would yes, be. Yes, now a, it kind of seems cool, right? It's kind of a like a cool, like nostalgic, ironic sort of thing. I, I yes. you know, you would get the joke. Um, I feel like that was okay. It'd be even funnier if they were instead of wearing it, were just carrying it folded over their arm, walking around. Yeah. But uh, not putting it on. That's yeah. uh, that. I feel like that would be uh, that would be just fine. Yeah, I'm good with that. Okay, we got your. Although, I mean, if you got a if you costume. got a Nordiques '88, it's probably Joe Sackett, though. Isn't yeah, it? original. People the forget OG Joe, Joe Sackett, Sackett, the original '88 uh, for uh, for a year. There you go. I got your Halloween costume all set. You're gonna wear a yep. Quebec or have a Quebec jersey folded up in your arms, walking around, walking around. Eric People will be like, "Who's that? Who's that guy that looks so much like Eric Lindros?" <laughs> uh, that's. Uh, you know, you you know, I often have that problem walking down the street. People are like, Eric Lindros? Hey. Yeah. I'm like, no. And they're like, well, no. professional athlete though, right? And I'm like, believe yeah. it or not, no, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> All right, time for us to bring in the very busy Jesse Granger, as Sean said off the top. I think it's been three hours since he's posted his story, so we're kind of busting his chops a little bit. Jesse joins us every Thursday for Granger Things brought to you by BetMGM. So it's been about, well, just under 48 hours since Vegas hoisted the Stanley Cup at uh, T-Mobile. How many hours has Jesse Granger slept for since the Knights won the Cup? Yeah, I, I got this just last night. I got I got to catch up on it a little bit. I got a solid six, I think. Um, the night before, it was not as much. It was, it was a late night in Vegas. Um, there was obviously a lot of national media in town, so we went and hung out after... Um, all the work and and it was obviously late. I mean, I so I had covered one cup final before, um, but the the Capitals won and I was kind of dealing with the Vegas side of things. So I didn't go out on the ice. I didn't do that whole thing. So that was my first time going out yeah. on the ice and you're out there a long time. So it is it is a late night. Once you get back to the media tent to write, um, you've already been it's it's well, well after the game had ended. So, yeah, it was a late night, but a lot of fun to cover. Two two things. First of all, I I really appreciate that you guys hung out. Yeah, yeah. Just just hung, hung out. out in Vegas. You know, yes, just hung just, out. Just just, just sitting around. Yeah, yeah. Play, probably playing some cards and uh, you know, talking about your your uh, your feelings. Um, and yeah, the, being on the ice. If if people don't know, that's there is no locker room availability with the winning team the way that there is every other every other game. You just the media goes out onto the ice and and does their their it's just kind of this chaos after the cup has already gone around after all that's been done, but the family is there. There's employees. It's it's really wild. I've had a chance to do it a couple of times, um, not really even because I needed to so much as it was just like I got a press pass. Of course I'm going out here, and uh, you know I remember doing it in L.A. because they, they when the home team wins the cup. I mean you're just looking around at the crowd is is going nuts and. And there's all this family running around. And and man, I get so nervous watching all the people trying not to wipe out on the ice. Especially <laughs> the women in like the high heels and stuff where you're just like, oh my goodness. And I I I said there was there was one lady took a real bad uh, she she ate it hard in uh 
in LA and uh, we ended up in, a, in an elevator with her afterwards. And uh, she was telling her friends the story. And let's just say she, she was already going viral at that point. She wasn't really <laughs> thrilled about it. It was, uh, it was really cool going out there. There, there were obviously kids everywhere. Um, yep. But seeing the parents and, and just being able to chat with them, like I've talked to a handful of parents over the seasons, but um, not in that like, type of setting where you can just kind of talk to them for however long you feel like. And, and they're obviously all in a really good mood. So um, talking to the parents was a lot of fun. They're everywhere. And, and there's just kids running around. There were a bunch of plastic flamingos that fans had thrown onto the ice. That's kind of what the fans do here in Vegas when they win. Usually there's one or two. This time there were like 50 of them. And the kids, all the players' kids were playing soccer with the plastic flamingos, kicking them around the ice. Um, it was a pretty crazy scene. It is. It is cool. It, my my all time favorite highlight was one of the players. I want to say it was Justin Williams. Uh, it, it was it, you know kind of media were asking him questions and he was trying to talk to people and then suddenly he just kind of stopped and he was like, Where, "Where's my kid?" <laughs> and like oh, everyone in the media just like started looking around and then like a couple people parted. Like this two year old got like and they're like, "Is that one yours?" And he's like, "Yeah, that's it." And they they, they brought the kid back. So it's uh, it's uh, it's a pretty wild experience. So I want to ask you, Jesse, about Sean's column today, which actually maybe, well, Sean, we'll let you explain just to the listeners, because I think last year was the first you you did the concept of Cond Smythe. Cond yes. Smythe. The Cond Smythe. So explain to the listeners who, what kind of the, the, the genesis of this award, and then maybe you could run down for Jesse and the listeners who the candidates are this year, and then let, let's let Jesse make the definitive ruling here for us. Okay. The, the, so the, the concept is uh, it is a team award that is presented to uh, at the end of every season where you look at the champion and you say, okay, which team made the dumbest trade with them that contributed the most to them winning the championship? And there's always somebody, right? Every team has at some point ripped off in a trade uh, you know, somebody or other. And in some cases, there's... There's more. There were more than a few. Like for example, last year with Colorado, it came down to: do you, do you go with the Leafs and the Nazem Kadri trade, or do you go with the New York Islanders and the Devin Taves trade? And then uh, you went back and forth. And some years are easier than others. And and I did it last year. And I think I went back and did everyone from the the cap era. And I didn't necessarily intend it to become like a recurring thing that I'd look at every year. But then. When I realized I'm looking at Vegas, going, "Holy smokes, this is the all-time right. Con Smythe." I mean, there there are there are the players entire on this roster team basically that I didn't even mention in the article that would have been yeah. that, like an easy winner on anybody else because this is how Vegas builds its team. And so um, I, I will run. I had to, like I say, I had to narrow it down. I got people reading the piece today who are like, you know, where's Shea uh, Shea Theodore? Like, where where's you know, where's, where's he? And it's like, yeah, I, I only had so much room to work with, but I will give you the, the six candidates and then you can, I I've got a poll going. So I, I, uh, I've asked the readers, but I, I, I want to get your, your feedback as well. And, and the six options are, um, the Buffalo Sabres for giving up Jack Eichel, the Ottawa Senators for Mark Stone, the Washington Capitals for the Chandler Stevenson trade. St. Louis Blues for uh, Ivan Barbashev at the deadline this year. Uh, San Jose Sharks for Aiden Hill, who they got for a fourth-round pick last summer. And then the last one, the controversial one, <laughs> and the one that maybe people are yelling at yes. me right now, is Jonathan Marcheseau, which feels like 
the easy call because we've all been making fun of the Panthers for that for years. Marcheseau just wins the Conn Smythe and, and beats his former team. So it's obviously him, except he didn't get traded to the Vegas right. Golden Knights. That wasn't that it was Riley Smith who got traded. Marcheseau was an expansion pick. And uh, even though they're, they're kind of grouped together in our minds, the actual transaction, that was not a trade. So I don't, I put him on the list with kind of a question mark because I don't know if that should actually count. Of those half dozen guys, factoring in th- those two factors, their importance to the team and the lopsidedness of the ripoff of the trade. Where where are you casting you you had a you had a consmite ballot I saw this year but this yes. is the more important because um, this is uh, this is the consmite who, who what are we doing here it's a great question and it's not easy to answer um I so I think I'm gonna go with Mark Stone as the winner and or the Ottawa Senators I guess however you put that um, mm-hmm. the reason being Jack Eichel phenomenal but the Golden Knights gave up a lot for him. And those players, Alex Tuck is scoring a lot of goals in Buffalo. Peyton Krebs is a good young player, and they gave up some high draft picks for Jack. So I think you could argue Buffalo did all right in that. Um, They're not Mm -hmm. doing as well as Jack Eichel is, obviously, because he just has hoisted the Stanley Cup. But they're doing all right in that trade. When you look at what Ottawa gave up for Mark Stone, and Pierre Lebrun wrote a brilliant piece during these playoffs um, talking to Pierre Dorian and a few other GMs about how they basically had no leverage because Mark Stone had decided – I'm only going to sign with Vegas. Um, so you either trade me there or you trade me to a team that I'm not going to sign with and they're not going to give you anything. So he was he was cornered. I will give the senators some excuses as to why they got fleeced so badly. But Mark Stone is the most important piece of this team. Um, I, he wasn't my con Smythe vote because he didn't have the best postseason. But if you were going to take a player off this team and you said which player, if you were to take them off the team, is going to hurt them the most, I think it's Mark Stone by miles. Um, Not just because of how good of a player he is, but he is the emotional leader in the locker room. This team is different with Mark Stone. I think a big reason, even though they were the one seed going into the playoffs, not very many people were picking the Golden Knights to win the the cup when the playoffs started. Um, It was all Edmonton. It was a lot of the East teams. And the, the reason, whether people knew it or not, I think is because Vegas didn't look good down the stretch. Their numbers weren't great. Their metrics weren't great. And that's because they didn't have Mark Stone. And then suddenly you insert a healthy Mark Stone in the lineup. None of us could have seen that happening. And they're the best team in hockey. Not just because of how good he is, but he just makes everyone around him better. And then you look at that trade. <laughs> they gave up Oscar Lindbergh was kind of the throw in. But the big prospect was Eric Brandstrom and a second round pick. And that's it. And I was very high on Eric Branstrom at the time. He hasn't turned out to be the player. Well, he hasn't turned out yet to be the player that I thought he could be. He was a, when I when I saw him in rookie camp, I thought he was going to be not Kale McCarr, but a lesser version of that style of player. I thought he was going to be sensational and he hasn't been that yet. But that's all they gave up a second round pick for the best player on the team, the captain, the most important player on a Stanley Cup winning team. That would be my vote for Con Smythe. I will throw in. And I'm sure you probably got this in the comments, but I think he might be second after Mark Stone as for conning is William Carlson. Yep. Because a lot of these players, these teams didn't want to get rid of. The senators didn't want to get rid of Mark Stone. They had to. They had no choice. He's going to leave. We're going to get nothing. Let's give him up. William Carlson, the (laughs) Columbus Blue Jackets in the expansion draft, they said, look, we don't want you to take Eunice Corpusalo. We will give you a first round pick. 
mm-hmm. you'll take William Carlson instead. We don't want this player. He's no good to us. Have him. We'll give you a first round pick if you take this bad player rather than Eunice Corposalo. And then he went on to score 43 goals. And he was another guy. I, I tweeted after the Con Smythe ballots. I was like, there's five guys that could win this and be deserving of it. And I thought William Carlson throughout these playoffs, the way he shut down Connor McDavid, the way he shut down Dallas's top line with Rupe Hintz and Jason Robertson, he did it to Winnipeg in the first round. He was sensational for this team defensively, and he scored a bunch of goals. So, um, like you said, there are a lot of candidates. I think Carlson is up there on the Conn Smythe rankings. Carlson's another one where technically an expansion pick, but you're right. Like that was that trade was specifically about him. Whereas the Riley Smith, it was just sort of everyone knew Marsh. So I I will tell you, right? The the fan voting, uh, they have it, it is Jonathan Marsh or so is leading right now. Meaning that the readers are are willing to bend the rules a little bit, um, but number two after that is Mark Stone. Um, I think them yeah. beating Florida is probably what's if like like because yeah, they beat the helps. team that gave them John and the Marsha, so that's probably giving him the edge in that. <laughs> and and I would agree with you. And and the the readers tend to agree with you that Jack Eichel, even though he's arguably the biggest star on this list, is is I I don't think he's the pick because I think Buffalo does that trade again if they. If if you put it to them right now, I think they say, you know right. what, we'll we'll do the the deal again. So you're not, uh, you know, you you haven't been conned if you're happy with the results. So I I had to have Eichel on the list, but I agree with you that he's he's not the guy. Yeah, and and you know, on the Stone trade too, don't forget, like you know, Jesse, you're saying you were pretty high on Eric Brandstrom. Don't forget, Pierre Dorian went to the podium that day and said, "This is my proudest day as general manager." You don't understand what we got in Eric Brandstrom. Best day I've had as general manager. Think about that. And then Think had to about apologize that. for that. And then he had to walk it later. back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I did what turned out to be a very, I guess, in hindsight, contentious interview with Dorian on the radio right after the trade. And I pushed him because I felt like he didn't quite understand how the fans were feeling. Like the fans were, I would argue, and Ottawa fans can correct me if I'm wrong. Ottawa fans were more crushed by losing Stone than Eric Carlson. That's how, that's how much they believed in Stone and thought he was the guy. And so I had this kind of contentious interview with Dorian in which I pressed him and we went back and forth. And, and Peter and I, we have a, I always say we have a Ross and Rachel thing going on. Uh, you know, like from Friends, we're hot and cold. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's neither here nor there. But it was from that trade with Mark Stone and Sean will remember this, is like two weeks later, the owner of the team, Eugene Melnick, went on radio in Ottawa and called me Bush League because of my handling of the Mm -hmm. stone trade and thought I was Bush League in the way that I handled the stone trade. And I thought, come on, like, what are we doing here? Honestly. Thank you. You can tell a lot about a person by who their enemies are. And I think the fact that you had Eugene Melnick gutting for you kind of tells people all they need to know about who's on the right side of that. <sighs> it, it was a very weird time. That's all I'm going to say. A very weird mm-hmm. time. But yeah, in hindsight, obviously, I'm, I'm really happy for Mark Stone. As you know, Jesse, one of the most intense uh, athletes I've ever been around. But in a good, like, if you get him at the right time, phenomenally, uh, he's open. He'll chat with you. But when he's hardwired, oh boy, like, he, look out. Yeah. He, I always say, like, every <laughs> hockey player loves hockey. I don't think there's a hockey player to ever play the game that loves it more than Mark Stone. There yeah. might be a few that love it as much. I don't think it's possible to no, love hockey exactly. more than Mark Stone does. 
Yeah, I, I I just wish people could understand how. Yeah, and and he's just a great story, just self made yep. story. So uh, Stone was great. Getting the Stanley Cup was uh, was great. Now on Saturday night, he's going to be taking that cup right down the strip. So you're a Vegas guy. Like, how often do they close the strip on a on like a Saturday night? Not very often. Um, I would say so. Like, obviously, New Year's Eve. Um, they close it down for the New Year's Eve party, depending on what day of the week that is. It doesn't really matter what day they're closing it for that. Um, they they also close it a couple times around Christmas. They have like a uh, Santa marathon. I don't know. Maybe rock and roll is what it's called. I don't know. There's some marathon where everybody dresses up like Santa Claus and runs down the strip for, for like charity. Um, that shuts it down. But that's about it. Um, they don't shut the strip down very often, at least both ways for sure. So they're 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 completely closing it between uh, Flamingo and Tropicana, which is the biggest. Like that, if you think of the Las Vegas Strip, if you if you've never been here or you or you've only been here a couple times, when you think of the Las Vegas Strip, basically that block is what you're thinking of. Um, it's longer than that, but this is Caesar's Palace is right on that corner, and then it's the Bellagio. It's MGM, it's New York, New York. It's all the casinos you think of, the Paris, um, yeah, the Eiffel Tower there, everything. That's where they're going to be going down. And then they're going to make a little U-turn and then follow that area. If you've ever been to T-Mobile Arena, there's that little park area with all the bars and restaurants and stuff leading up to the front of the arena. Um, they're going to go through that and then they're going to end up right in front of T-Mobile Arena. Um, they call that little area Toshiba Plaza, and that's where they're going to do the rally. And I'm excited because it's going to be, it's starting at seven o'clock. So it's kind of a nighttime parade. It's obviously not going to be dark when it starts, but it will by the time it ends. And I thought they should have started it a little bit later, but I guess I could see how. So right now, starting at seven, the rally will start at nine. Um, they don't want to go too late with the rally. They want kids to be able to go, um, would be my guess, is why they didn't start it later to where it would, the lights would be on at the beginning of the parade. But I'm hoping while they're still on the strip portion of it, it gets dark enough for all the lights to come on and you get that visual. Um, I can't think of what of a, of a cooler championship parade visual than the, the Las Vegas Strip lit up with all these fans. Um, if anyone saw videos of the outside of the arena um, the other night, it was insanely packed. I expect it to be like that um, on Saturday. It should be a lot of fun. I can't wait to see what it looks like. So when we, uh, when we do this segment with you every week, we usually we have, we, uh, you know, we look at some odds. We look at some, uh, some things that might happen. Obviously, now the season is over and there's not necessarily odds per se, but there are futures we can look at. And let's look ahead, believe it or not, to next year at this time. And we've already got the early, early odds on the Stanley Cup champion in the spring of 2024. So you've got the list in front of you. And we don't have to go, obviously, we're not, we're not going to run through 32 teams. I want you, though, to tell Sean and I, like, what are the two or three teams that you're like, wow, I'm, I'm surprised at the odds on this team to win it all next year? So... We'll just look at the top real quick. The Avs are the favorites. I don't think that would surprise anyone. Oilers are second at nine to one. The Bruins are ten to one. At th they're the third, and then the Maple Leafs. I'm surprised the Golden Knights are one, two, three, four, five, six. They are the eighth team on this list um, after hmm. winning the Stanley Cup behind the Devils and Rangers, which are two good teams with young players. But I was a little bit surprised that the Golden Knights weren't wouldn't be higher. And then the one that really surprised me is, look, I don't. 
I wouldn't say I'm going to pick the Seattle Kraken to win the Stanley Cup next year, but they were a very good team that won a playoff series this year, and they are more than halfway down the list um, at 50 to 1. And they're behind teams like the Senators, the Sabres, the Penguins, the Flames, teams that didn't make the playoffs or didn't do anything in the playoffs. Um, I was very surprised to see the Kraken all the way down there. And then the other one that kind of piqued my interest was the Washington Capitals. Look, they missed the playoffs. They're probably heading in the wrong direction, but should they have the same odds to win? Like right, they're right above the Columbus Blue Jackets. Like, have they really fallen off that bad? I mean, that's that's they're basically down there with the Blue Jackets, the Coyotes. Like, I was surprised to see the Capitals that far down the list um, at 66 to one to win the Stanley Cup. I know they're heading the wrong direction, but I think a lot of things went wrong for that team that could go right next year. And you could see them in the playoffs. And if you've got a team with 66 to one odds to win the cup in the playoffs, you're feeling pretty good after. I mean, you just saw the Panthers, what they did as an eight seed. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that that was what is are there any teams that that you guys would would are curious about their odds or uh or or if you have any thoughts on any of those? Who's 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 got the worst of the worst? The worst of the worst. So there's two tie, two tied at the bottom um at 250 to 1 and that is the Anaheim Ducks and the Montreal Canadiens. Mm-hmm. Okay. And where is Chicago? Like how much is the Connor Bedard factor? I mean, they can't be that much. I I I'm I see why they wouldn't be the very bottom, but they can't be they can't be all that high. No, they're not. They're, there's a group of teams right above the the Ducks and Canadians. So they're both 250 to one. Um, there's a group of six teams above them at 150 to one. And the Blackhawks are one of those teams along okay. with the Coyotes and the Flyers and the Sharks. Um, and then the Blue Jackets are right above them. So that yeah, they're, feels they're like not a big getting jump much of a bump. 250 yeah. to 150, but it's really, really not. Okay. But uh, yeah, no these these odds are. Bi- I think a lot of it is what you'd expect. Um, I think Let me that, uh, sorry the and I don't think you mentioned them before. Where are the Panthers? Yeah, so that's another te- like the the there's not a lot of belief in the the two teams that just were playing in the Stanley Cup final. I mean the Panthers. So the Golden Knights are I think I said the eighth team. Uh, that would make the Panthers the eleventh best odds at eighteen to one. Um, there's a lot of belief that the Flames are coming back. I mean the Flames are right there next to the Panthers, which is. I mean, wow. the pan- yeah, that's that's wow. surprising to me from both huh. perspectives. Yeah. That the Panthers would be 18 to one um, considering. I mean, like like we we said at all playoffs, like that was not a like sometimes an eight seed makes a run and you're like, yeah, but they're not really that good. They just had like a really good two months. The Panthers were not a normal eight seed. That was a really talented team that absolutely deserved to be in the Stanley Cup final. Um, now, goaltending is going to be like, can Bob do it again? Like, can he do a full do what he did in these playoffs for a full season? and 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 where is Spencer Knight? And can he come back and be strong for them? That's the only real question, because I think this team is is really strong um, at forward. And I think they, they can improve on defense, but they've got some really good defenders, too. So I, I was surprised to see them down there. And like I said, there's a lot of belief in Calgary in terms of the odds. Either that maybe maybe there's not a lot of belief, but maybe the, the sports books are trying to protect themselves. They think that that would be the team everyone would is going to jump on and say, look, they, they had a bad year, but look at all the talent they've got. Let's that's going to be my my long shot pick. And the sports books are trying to get ahead of that would probably yeah, be, a, I guess. I mean, the, the only thing I could think with that is we're only a year removed from them being a really, really good team. But then the same is true of the Florida Panthers and the Panthers just went on a long playoff run. So I, you would think they would get it. I don't know. 
by the way, Jesse, just uh, uh, it, uh, only because I think it's only fair that you get a chance to respond. But I, I am looking ahead in our mailbag. And yes. uh, we do have somebody who says that Jesse Granger didn't vote for Aiden Hill on his Con Smythe ballot. Goalie union card revoked. How do you feel? <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you want to defend yourself real quick? Do you just want to hang your head in shame? Is or or whatever goalies say, drink from your water bottle, go skate into the corner for no reason. What do you? How do you respond? <laughs> I love that. By the way, um, I knew this would ha- this would happen when I when I put my ballot in. But as much as I love goalies, I take the Con Smythe voting and the awards voting very very seriously. And I mean, especially Con Smythe. There's 18 of us. Like it is, your ballot is incredibly important as to who's going to win this award. And to me. I didn't think Aiden Hill was one of the three most important players in this run, most valuable players in this run. A couple reasons. One, he only played in 11 of the 16 wins it took to win the Stanley Cup. So about 68% of the wins. Um, If he had played the whole playoffs, I think it's a little bit different story. And then the other thing is, there were five guys that could win this award. I mentioned William Carlson earlier. He wasn't on my ballot either. And I, and like, this isn't William Carlson could have been in the top three. William Carlson could have been first, in my opinion. Like, I think there's a, a realistic argument that William Carlson's the Conn Smythe winner. And the same goes for Aiden Hill. He was sensational down the stretch, but two things hurt him. One, he only played in 11 games that they won. And two, the fact that Laurent Bressois was so good before he came in, and the fact that every goalie they plugged in this year was great behind that defense, including Jonathan Quick, who was the worst goalie in all of hockey in L.A., comes in and put up good stats behind this defense, I think hurts Aiden Hill a little bit because it, it I'm not saying Hill didn't play well, but this team makes it very easy on its goalies. So I think when I'm looking at, OK, who's the most valuable? I'm thinking if this team didn't have Jonathan Marcheseau or Jack Eichel or Mark Stone, which were my three Smythe ballot picks, they're in a lot of trouble without those guys. Whereas I think they've shown all season long that without Aiden Hill, they probably still would have figured things out because this defense is so good. So um, yes, I understand why goalie union members would be upset with me not voting for a goalie for the Con Smythe, but I have my reasons and I think Aiden Hill was great. If I had a, if I had a ballot of four people, he would have been fourth on there, but he just didn't make the top three because I thought they had three more valuable players on this team. And I think it speaks to how good this team was that they've got five legitimate Con Smythe candidates. Yeah. No, I'll it's, toss it's that it, back to the goal union for consideration. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I think you're right. If he had played the entire, if Laurent Brassois didn't help them early on, it's a much different conversation, right? Totally different conversation. Yep. But it was almost like those years where Pittsburgh won and they split it between Fleury and Murray. And like, it just, yeah, I, I totally get it. So, all right. Great explanation. We look forward to uh, your coverage. Hopefully some pics and videos from the parade on Saturday night. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Listen, I think Sean and I both want to say what a terrific job. I know you've been getting some flowers from everybody uh, on social media, but it's our opportunity too to to say the same thing because your your coverage over four rounds and 82 games of a season, then four rounds, it can become exhausting and grueling. And yet it never showed in your work. It was always um, uh, creative and fun and uh, in-depth and comprehensive and all those things. And so, you know what? Uh, You deserve all the praise coming your way for a wonderful run. Thanks, obviously, for doing all this stuff with us in the pod, but I hope you get some sincere downtime here because you you really deserve it. Thank you, Ian. Second that. Thank you, guys. 
All right. That was always great with Jesse. And uh, yeah, what, what phenomenal work that he's done uh, throughout the course of this uh, this playoff run. Because like I said, like it, and you know this too, Sean, like uh, being a writer, it can be a little bit grueling and taxing uh, to kind of just come up with new material, fresh material. And then on top of that, try to write in a very clear and concise and creative manner when you're writing four, five, six, seven times a week, whatever. So I, I thought Granger was just dynamite in that run. Absolutely dynamite. Yep, for sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let us uh, open up the email. So wait, you yeah, you read the one email, which was uh, about Aiden Hill. Uh, Chris in Vegas also has an email. It says, what an amazing victory Tuesday for Vegas. Uh, so great to be in the building to watch the Stanley Cup lifted. I've been a hockey fan for more than 30 years, and to see... Uh, to be there to see my cup raised for the team I root for couldn't be better. But quick question for you. My friend who came to the game with me had a very nice, fairly new Vegas Golden Knights hat until the third period. Our seats were in the upper deck, about six rows from the very top. I made him throw the hat for the Mark Stone hat trick. Probably should have asked somebody this before last night, but should fans in the upper deck of arenas be throwing hats for hat tricks? If you're in the lower bowl, yes, your hat's probably going to land on the ice. But when you're throwing from the top, maybe it doesn't get there. Do you have to just uh, an obligation of throwing it forward until it reaches the ice? Anyway, having a great time in Vegas. Tell Jesse to get some sleep. That's from Chris in Vegas. Yeah. So the uh, the etiquette around hat tricks, I'll start with the easy part. Yes, if you're in the first deck and a hat from the upper deck doesn't make it to the ice and lands near you, you are, you are morally obligated to finish the job. You, that is not your hat. You do not leave that hat. You, you got to help that, uh, you got to help that hat get to its destination. Uh, as far as the, do you have to throw your hat for a hat trick? I'm, I'm sympathetic that, you know what? Some people, a lot of these hats are expensive. Some people may also be, I'm always thinking of the people who wear, like, I've I've got hats that I've had for decades. They, these are meaningful hats. I don't want to just toss this thing based on, uh, you know, based on a hat trick in, in the regular season. Now, if it's a cup-clinching game, I feel like at that point, yeah, fire it down. If this was a new hat, absolutely, um, I think it goes. But I, I'm not, I'm going to stop short of saying that you, you have to, that you're obligated to toss the hat. Because everyone might have their own circumstances, and uh, you know, I've I've got a few that I wouldn't want to part with. If you pressure your friend into it, I do think you know, Chris, uh, you, <laughs> maybe you, you you owe him like half a hat at least. Like, yeah, take half him the lids and uh, chip in at the at the very least to get the replacement. But uh, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm not gonna I'm I'm not gonna say you have to throw it if it's your hat. But if it's somebody else's that lands near you, yes, finish the job. Absolutely, no no question at all on the ethics there. And I'm I'm pretty sure I think the way it works is if you do throw your hat on the ice for a hat trick, uh, you usually can retrieve it after the game through lost and found. Wait, really? No. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm like ninety nine percent yes in in Ottawa. Hold on, I'm gonna as we uh, let me look this up. I, I'm pretty sure because I've seen there's like a garbage bag of hats at security yeah. or whatever. And my understanding was if you went to them and said, look. Uh, you know, whatever. Tim Stutzla had a hat trick. Threw my hat. Can I get it back? I, and then, I and then they say, "What? Can I get a description?" And you're like, "Yeah, it's got a senator's logo on it." And they're like, "Yeah, okay, yeah, we've got that one right here." Do they just set it all out on a table like at my kid's school at the at the end of the school year, and you just show up? Like, I, 
I've never heard of this. Okay, I hold probably on, hold should. On. I mean, it shows you how many, you know, I'm a Leaf fan. We don't get to do this very often. So, so uh, here we go. I have an info. This is from a CBC article in okay. from a couple of years ago. Okay. And of course, now the internet is uh, frozen on me. But it says, what happens to hats from a hat trick? Okay. So in Ottawa, you have two weeks. The guest services will hang up onto hats for about two weeks after, during which time owners can show up and claim them. In order to get your hat back, they must give a very specific description. Uh, hats that are not claimed are then sent to an organization that... It's got a senator's logo. I need more, dis- uh, more yeah, description. It's black. It's black. It's- yeah, that's it. Okay, I got okay. that one. Uh, and then if you do not... Cl- uh, they send it to an organization. If you don't claim it, it's sent to an organization that washes and cleans the hat and turns around and donates them uh, to local charities and shelters. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes apparently will automatically donate. Anyway, so I, I told you, I, I was pretty sure. See, I assumed they got donated. I, 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 I figured they were donated. So now I want to know, well, I want to know a few things. First of all, it, all those kids in that heartwarming clip throwing their hats at Tim Stutzler after he had his first hat trick in the bubble and there were no fans to throw and then they like went to his house and threw the hats in the backyard yes. did they all get the hats back did they show up yes like, ring the doorbell the day later and yeah uh, no they got them all them back, back? That right away right. right away they got them all back right away so and, and i would like to announce the opening of sean's hat store which will be uh, operating uh, next year uh, uh after I, I i think i've now got a, my supply chain issues figured out i'm just gonna show up <laughs> demand hat sure. by the way can we talk about how great it was we, we a few weeks ago we were talking about like famous objects and stuff like that that, that uh, you would want to either get back or destroy or whatever it was that big gold hat that somebody threw on the ice <laughs> yes, you saw mark yes. stone going like keep this yeah. one i, I want to this like, one's for me that yeah. is going to be phenomenal as <laughs> a keepsake someday they had this big shiny gold hat uh, in his house somewhere that's fantastic I, 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 I saw that hat and I thought, wouldn't it be great if at some point Mark Stone is doing a charitable event or something, he autographs that and auctions it off? Wouldn't that get a ton of money? Oh, if you're a Vegas hat? fan, man, that is yeah. the, that would be absolute can't miss. Yeah. Uh, or, okay. or apparently you can just show up at the Golden Knights Arena and say, that's your hat. <laughs> that's uh, my hat. Uh, can, you, was gold? can you describe it for me? It was yeah, gold. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on as you're looking at the clip on your phone. It's uh, yeah, it's just gold. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was that was definitely I think Mark me. Stone okay, we we'll just add up? you yeah. to the list because you're the 400th person to report that that was your hat. But we'll, yeah, we'll get yeah. back to you. Uh, oh man, let's wrap up uh, the Thursday pod with a little this week in hockey history. We'll go back down memory lane here with a couple of Stanley Cup finals. Uh, June 15th. So on this date, 2011, 12 years ago, the Boston Bruins. Uh, behind Tim Thomas's Conn Smythe Trophy winning performance, uh, shut out Vancouver in Game 7 to capture the Stanley Cup. I, I'm going to ask you this question. Just in the salary cap era, so 06 to now, yes or no, Bruins-Canucks 2011, best Stanley Cup final, yay or nay? I don't think so. I don't think it was. It's one of the few seven games. We haven't had a lot of seven-game series. But man, it, it just... So many of those games were lopsided. It, it it was a, I think you could make the case for the most interesting series, most fascinating series, the way it played out. There were a couple of close games in, in Vancouver, especially, but there was like the big blowout. The game seven was not close. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think so. I, I, to me, it was the 2009 
Detroit Pittsburgh rematch, right? It was the second one that went seven, I think, that ended with uh, the flurry save uh, on with Max Talbot. That- uh, with uh, yeah, Max Talbot with two goals yeah. and 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 the the flurry save. Yeah, not to mention that even especially in hindsight, the passing of the torch from you know the previous eras, great champions in Detroit to to Pittsburgh. I, I, to to me, that's the number one. I I'm not sure how far down the list I'd go for Boston Vancouver, but it it just it it didn't. The signature moments in that series all feel negative to me. It's you know the the, the suspension hit the. Fans booing Batman, the riot, obviously. Um, Tim Thomas yeah. trucking the city. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then the other, uh, this date in hockey history, I can't believe it's been 25 years since this. June 16th, 1998. So 25 years ago, Detroit sweeps Washington. They win their second consecutive Stanley Cup. And I think... This is maybe the most powerful and poignant moment we've ever seen with the Stanley Cup. And that is Vladimir Konstantinov in a wheelchair being handed the Stanley Cup by Steve Eiserman. Uh, just a powerful moment because obviously the, uh, the accident from the year before. But uh, boy, isn't that, isn't that wild? Like that's yeah. a quarter of a century ago, 25 years ago. For so that. long ago. And uh, yeah, Konstantinov to this day is, is still, uh, you know, having medical problems and difficulties with his care and, and all of that but that was a an emotional moment and and a a weird bit of trivia uh steve eiserman is captain of the red wings they won the cup three times he never handed off to an active teammate in all three of yeah those. it was it, Bo- bowman it was the last one 90, right 90 yeah 2002 he gave it to scotty bowman who skated with it uh 98 was konstantinov and 97 he gave it to mike gillich the owner as his first handoff so steve eiserman never handed the Stanley wow. Cup uh, as a first handoff to uh, to a teammate from that game. Wow. You know what? I didn't realize that. It's interesting because especially in 2002, there were some teammates there like Hashik, yeah. like uh, uh, Robitaille. That, the old guy had never won, team. right? Yeah, Steve Duchesne, Frederick Olsen, uh, yeah. I think, was on that yeah. team. But, but um, I mean, that was, was a lot of that was it for Bowman, be, though, right? It was, yeah, Bowman at the time, we didn't know for sure. There was a lot of speculation that he that he was maybe done, but but we didn't know. But that was the great thing where Scotty Bowman went and got his skates on. And so he yeah. came out and didn't just take the handoff from the cup, which obviously he had done many times, uh, but got to skate around with it, which was a very cool moment. And as you're watching it, you sort of realize like this is this is it for him. Yeah. And yeah, like it's funny with Bowman, like how, how many he won nine cups. Wait, how many cups did he win? Uh, I think it was more than that. He what, was. It, it depends, sort of, what you count because he. There were some that he won as an executive, and but he won. Geez, how many? In, but did he win six in Montreal as a as a head coach. He mm. won. Uh, I th- was it not just four in Montreal? Those four in a row, or did was he there before? I don't even. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he would. Maybe anyway, maybe it was just the four in Montreal. One one in Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh because and he then came two for the in, second one, and, and then, then two in Detroit. The three in Detroit, wouldn't it have been? Oh, yeah, sorry, three in Detroit. So, you know, whatever, seven cups, eight cups, whatever. But it's funny, do you think he ever thought about doing the skate thing on one of the other ones? He's like, okay, if I get six cups, I'll skate around with it. Mm -hmm. Like, I wonder if he ever... I'm surprised it didn't catch on. I mean, this is... uh, Nobody's done it since. I mean, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, you could have... 
Bruce Cassidy could have done it this. I mean, he could have gone and got his skates on halfway through the second period of the clinching game. That's uh, <laughs> sure. he could have played the third period. Yeah, he could have. I'm putting if, my guys. I'm putting myself in. I'm going in. Yeah. I'm playing goal. I gotta find out. I'm, Everyone says I'm that going, anyone can play goalie on the Golden Knights. I'm gonna do it. I'm going Lester Patrick. Uh, anyway, uh, okay, we'll leave it there. So when we get together next Thursday, man, who knows what's gonna have happened? This is like I said, this is the start of the. Uh, aggressive season in, in, in trades and whatnot. So it could be a really interesting uh, seven days when we do this again. So uh, between now and then, though, we'd love to hear from you. Email us any questions anytime. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 845 445 8459. Right now, you can get a one year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month for 12 months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show.